Hello there, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Pacific Northwest of the beautiful USA. Today is the very first day of November. That makes it All Saints Day uh, in the year 2020. Now, you know, because you listen to Authentic Biochemistry religiously, that uh, we've been doing this relatively long arc of senescence and human aging as it's associated with immune response. Of course, we're doing mostly biochemistry, but a lot of cell physiology and pathophysiology along the way, uh, linking it all together into biomedicine. Now, we've been following an interesting um, subtopic for the last three or four episodes, and that includes the circadian clock. We talked a lot about clock genes and period genes and cryptochrome. We talked about the regulation and the feedback mechanism loops. We ended up discussing a particular transcription factor called NFIL3, which has to do with an immunoglobulin, tracking an immunoglobulin series of gene expression systems, um, but that nevertheless is intimately linked with clock gene uh, control because of its suppression of certain genes. In fact, NFIL3 acts as a global suppressor of gene expression. And we're going to see that again today. So let's just get right on this. Here's a paper that was published in a journal called Discoveries. This is back in 2014. Now, don't worry about it. That doesn't make it uh, rickety and old fashioned. That's not that long ago. This is a really good paper on uh, NFIL3 and on its various biological roles. So I have no problems talking about it. Uh, from this paper, again, the paper, the Journal of Discoveries, published 2014, came out April, June of that year. Looks like volume two, it starts off with page E15. This is a freely uh, obtainable journal uh, that you can get online. Um, and I did look up the journal, and there's an ISN number uh, 2359, uh, and it tells you right on its website, the journal is an innovative online platform for publishing open access, cutting edge, but of course, cutting edge, peer reviewed research discoveries in medicine, biology, and chemistry. And it was first launched apparently in October of 2013. And it came from people uh, from Harvard Medical School, um, uh, University Hospital in Aachen, Germany, and the Cleveland Clinic. So it's obviously uh, got a good editorial staff there. Let's get into the paper tells me that infil 3 is expressed in circadian matter and codes a regulator of circadian rhythm. We've already talked about this at some great length, so that's not a surprise to us uh, at Authentic Biochemistry. Now, what else this paper is going to talk about is that um, we have been describing, and this paper wants to remind you, that organisms from bacteria to humans have endogenous clocks, and those clocks are also called circadian rhythms when they go uh, when they are tracking a day, 24-hour day. And I also told you they integrate intrinsic and extrinsic cues. And uh, these clocks do a lot of things. They control bioenergetics uh, for cellular need. And because of that, they're involved in cell fate and survival. The clocks themselves, the, the biochemistry of them, they're complex, they're interlocked multiple, at least three feedback loops that we have talked about. And there's a lot of transcriptional associated uh, regulation. 
The three most common circadial transcription clock consensus sites are the E box elements, which are activated by clock. A clock is circadian locomotor output cycles kaput. Uh, and then the BMAL1, which uh, I never told you the, what that acronym stands for. You're going to love this. Brain and muscle aren't like protein 1. That's right. Uh, and they form a protein dimer. There's also the uh, suppressors that we talked about that compete for the same site uh, on the um, chromatin. And they're the Reb, Herb, A, Roar elements, and they are binding to the RREs. Remember, that's retinoic acid responsive elements. And they're expressed by the NR1D1, which is the nuclear receptor subfamily 1, group D, member 1, and they're also known simply as the Reb, Herb, A. There are also other protein, uh, other transcription factors called, the, well, DNA factors that bind those transcription factors called D-box elements. They tend to be activated by B-zip transcriptional activator uh, loop proteins. These are DBP, D-site albumin promoter binding proteins, what that stands for. And they're repressed by B-zip transcriptional repressor. Yes, indil 3 Okay. Now, the mammalian circadian rhythm is initiated by a basic helix loop helix uh, transcription factors, clock and BMAL1. I told you before that they formed what are known as heterodimers and that that acts then as the transcription factor, the dimer does, and it controls genes that are um, involved in the E-box promoter element for transcriptional regulation. And they include, remember, the PER genes. Those are the period genes, and they're PER 1, 2, and 3. And also the CRI genes, cryptochromes 1 and 2, the DBP we just mentioned, and then the suppressors themselves, Reverbay. Transcriptional programs that activate the gene circadian rhythm are eventually turned off, of course, because of those negative feedback mechanisms we spent a great deal of time last uh, lecture talking about. The period and the CRI proteins form these heterodimers, and they ultimately hinder the induction of EBOX regulated genes. Remember, the EBOX is the uh, cis acting elements in the DNA. And the REB, herb A repress the RRE regulated genes. Remember, those are retinoic acid responsive elements. And that includes, of course, the initializer of the clock, the BMAL1 gene. And remember that INFIL3 represses those DBOX regulated genes. It's really the infill 3 promoter contains numerous RREs, and they are because of that, they facilitate the circadian expression. The mammalian infill 3 shows circadian expression in a large number of tissues, not just in the suprachiasmatic nucleus of the hypothalamus, but also in the liver, kidney, aorta, skeletal muscle, the adrenal gland, and of course in the adipose tissue, which acts as a really important um, organ system to regulate overall homeostasis of the human body. That is the adipose tissue. So you have DBP and infill 3 cycling uh, in terms of the level of expression. And the, and the way this works is that the D-box genes are on when DBP binds to the D-box. One of the genes it expresses when the gene, when the system is on is infill 3. Infill 3 then places DBP and binds the D-box. That shuts the D-box genes off. Ultimately, then infill 3 falls away. NBP binds back on the D-box, and that's the cycle, okay, or pseudocycle. 
So infill 3 and DPP peak at different times, as you might guess. They are acting as out-of-sync sine wave gene expression systems. Very common, you see, um, when one gene is turned off, the other gene is turned off. They look like sine wave sort of uh, um, kinetics. The DPP binds to and activates DBox genes, where the infill 3 binds to and represses DBox genes. That's all you really need to know. And this is indeed classical circadian clock rhythm. Now, there was another discovery that linked the circadian function of infill 3 to the development of interleukin 17 producing CD4 plus naive helper cells, which turn into TH17 cells. And we've talked about this way back in the summertime. Seems like summer wasn't that long ago. Still have a tan, in fact, but it's not anywhere near uh, close as it used to be because, by gosh, it's November 1st. At any rate, forget about this historical perspectives of TH17. What you should remember is TH17 cells work to protect organisms from bacterial and fungal infections. And particularly, these TH17 cells are functioning at the coastal surfaces. And they're associated, of course, with inflammatory disease because they are effector cells. Info 3 actually suppress TH17 development. I told you that before. Because it binds to the promoter of an orphan receptor. That's right. The, and it's the ROR gamma T. Remember, we talked about that when we talked about TH17s. If you don't, go back and listen to my earlier lectures and you will be replenished with that lecture. Anyways, it binds to the ROR gamma T gene and it represses transcription. Remember, ROR gamma T um, is actually the transcription factor that's required for the speciation of TH17. So if NFL3 suppresses ROR gamma T, you don't get ultimate terminal differentiation TH17, so you don't get that cell phenotype. Now, NFL3 was found to be highly expressed at night in mice whereas rorgamatine was highly expressed during the day. So there's an immune rhythmicity in terms of expression of transcription factors, which allow for terminal differentiation to affect cells. Now, that's important when you're thinking about aging. I told you that the aging process often involves a corruption of the circadian clock. So there's a, there's a disruption of the wake-sleep cycle in the elderly. I also told you that the immune system becomes compromised and overworked and sometimes hyperimmune or hypoimmune depending on the equipoise of the system and the vagaries of induction because of uh, the introduction of, of uh, pathogenic organisms, of course. Now, TH17 cell frequencies are significantly higher during a day, as you might guess from this regulation, um, and that's what you see in wild-type mice. Now, the diurnal difference of TH17 cells, of course, gets, what would you guess, when you get a double knockout, that diurnal difference of TH17 is totally abrogated in infill three double knockout mice, double negatives. So that study is kind of an exciting example that links two things, circadian clock and the immunological functions, both linked with one transcription factor, infill three. Now, overall, these emergent areas of infill three regulate circadian processes highlight not only that basic mechanism of its action, you know, where it's functioning, but also important connections with a broader cellular context and indeed organismal context when you're talking about human aging. As a circadian regulator, it obviously impacts metabolism by being a part of the cell intrinsic oscillator. Infill 3 is induced by environmental cues, which we only touched on lightly last time, light being one of them, and 
nutrition, particularly feed fast cycle, and it's the feed cycle that uh, influences infill expression. So it enables cells to integrate internal and external cues during the day and during feeding tend to be coincidental, even in mammals. We know this, right? Not always the case, certainly not with humans, uh, but during the evolution of these, of these systems, these biochemical systems, certainly they were much more linked. So you look at the bird model, the, the avian model, the chick pineal gland, where remember melatonin is synthesized. Remember melatonin is involved in setting the clock. Uh, right at the SCN, the suprachiasmatic nucleus. So the chick pineal gland is usually used as a model system. In fact, you can take chick pinealocytes, and they possess by themselves a circadian oscillator and a phototransduction pathway, all for the purposes of light entrainment. And you can do this with cells in culture. But going back to the animals, by exposing young chicks to varying light-dark cycles, they found that infill 3 had a role in light entrainment. In fact, under normal conditions, infill 3 expression in the chick pineal peaks at early subjective night. They call it subjective because they can synchronize it in the way they want, right? So, infill 3 protein represses the expression of period 2 gene, PER2, which is normally expressed in an antiphase manner as, as relevant to infill 3. And it peaks in the morning where melatonin is ebbing, interestingly, right? So these cycles within a cycle, remember that really cycles because they're always moving through time. And you know they're not a cycle because the organism is aging, the cells are aging, and this whole system uh, becomes dysfunctional. But also even the tight regulation becomes more elastic and indeed epigenetically plastic over time or because of stress. So, you know, like when you can't sleep during the night, this clock is being corrupted. That could be because of a stress to uh, something, that, something with the central nervous system. For example, even like fear or worry or concern or anxiety, right? Yes. Because that's all going to involve a whole host of endocrine, paracrine, endocrine hormone, uh, uh, autocrine hormone production, which is going to lead to modifications of mood and behavior. This is all linked, of course, to the central nervous system and reward pathway, for example. Um, okay, so light exposure during early subjective night leads to the induction of infill 3 gene expression. So the transcription factor gets expressed and delay in expression of the PER2 the, the next following morning. Also, the sterile regulatory element binding protein, or SREPP, is a transcription factor that induces infill 3 expression in the chick pineal upon, this is interesting, light exposure. During early subjective night to, uh, is when this occurs, and it ultimately causes a delay of the PER2 expression to the next morning. Now, you might wonder why a sterile regulatory protein. Remember, one of the important steroid hormones is vitamin D, and we know vitamin D is synthesized during the light in the dermis, right? So, see where this is linked. Of course, it is. So, in chicks, there's a role for infill 3 in shifting expression of PER2 to a later time, and that's, of course, in response to the subjective light induction. Now, insulin and feeding are additional environmental cues, which you would expect because of the day-night cycle for feeding. And they also involve an inducing expression of infill 3. Feeding potently induces the expression of infill 3 in the mouse liver, whereas fasting has the opposite effect. Now, isn't that interesting? Because you, you know after a heavy meal, 
uh, often what happens is people take a nap. This is all linked to this, and this transcription factor is playing, I would say, rather amazing, glorious roles in this process. Furthermore, insulin induces infill 3 expression in the HEPA1C cells in a vasotilinositol-1,3-biskinase-dependent manner. So we're linking back now into kinase cascades, and we knew we were going to because nothing occurs downstream, but that isn't related to lipid metabolism and P13 kinases. No exception to that rule. Now, one of the infill 3 repressed genes in the liver is one called FGF21. That encodes, and we've talked about that one before too, a potent anti-diabetic and more lipid, you see, triacylglycerol-lowering hormone. Okay, there you go. And during fasting, the FGF21 is critical for, now follow along here, lipolysis, gluconeogenesis, and ketogenesis. Those are all linear metabolic pathways. Lipolytic means you're getting lipase-mediated production of free fatty acid. Free fatty acid can be broken down by beta-oxidation, particularly in the liver. Beta-oxidation is going to be generating NADH and FADH2, which can be the reducing power to make ATP to drive gluconeogenesis from, non, from non-lipid, non-carbohydrate precursors such as amino acids. Also, ketogenesis is going to be facilitated by this FGF21 during fasting, because remember, ketone bodies, acetoacetate, beta-hydroxybutyrate, are going to be the end products besides that NADH and FADH2 of beta-oxidation of fatty acids in the mitochondria after carbon transport. Now, infill 3 physically associates with D-box elements, going back now to our chronobiology, on that promoter for the FGF gene. And that occurs not in the CSN or other portions of the um, CNS, but in hepatocytes. And that works to repress transcription in a manner that depends on, and we've talked about this many times, epigenetic modification. In this case, it's histone methyltransferase. And the same old protein we talked about before, that's G9A. Thus, on nutrient availability, infill 3 action leads to an epigenetic shift to maximize metabolism and biogenesis, and in many ways mimics the AKT mTOR pathway for anabolism, macromolecular synthesis. There is a ubiquitin specific protease called USP245. That's identified as yet another infill 3 repressed gene, now in this case in the hepatocyte. As it turns out, USP245 encodes a deubiquitinase, okay, a deubiquitinase, that regulates gluconeogenesis and glucose metabolism, such as glycolysis in the liver. So gluconeogenesis, when it's on, glycolysis is turned down, and glucose metabolism can also be related to glycogen, and of course, the utilization of glucose to make glucosamines and various other carbohydrate intermediates involved in glycoprotein synthesis. Not to make things more complex, just making it exactly how it is because things are complex biochemically. Now, under starvation conditions, some our old friends' uh, transcription factors, the peroxide proliferator activated receptor gamma, coactivator alpha, PGC1 alpha, and the peroxisome proliferator activated receptor gamma coactivator beta, PGC1 beta, along with the hepatocyte nuclear factor 4, HINT4, activate the transcription of this deubiquitinase. That's USB 245, whereas NFIL-3 
acts to strongly repress that gene under the well-fed state during feeding conditions. Now, the ability of PGC1-alpha to induce USP245 is strongly enhanced when cells are transduced with infill short hairpin RNA. Now, why would you introduce via transduction infill 3 shRNA to diminish infill 3 expression? It's a way of doing it. Right? Kind of a sloppy way because it's at the RNA level. It's not a knockout. But it's nice because you can um, regulate it just by regulating expression or introduction in this case uh, via the transduction. Usually by the promoter, you can induce the of a short hairpin RNA specific to, of course, the transcript. Now, in summary, what are we saying so far? Under fed conditions, infill 3 expression is induced. That leads to the repression of a number of genes, FGF21 and USB245, to shift metabolic processes. Remember, moving away from that lipolysis gluconeogenesis, right? Take it as a whole. The ability of infill 3 to regulate metabolism is becoming increasingly evident in the scientific literature. And it suggests that it may have a role, of course, in a major metabolic disease that's type 2 diabetes or TBD. Now, if there is a mutation, it depends on which direction its valence falls in, in this particular gene, in infill 3, right? So follow along with the reasoning here with me. Mutant infill 3 with lowered activity, so the mutation causing less activity of that transcription factor, maybe less binding, because remember it's a basic protein, uh, helix loop helix protein. You get lowered activity, let's say, with a particular mutation. What would that do? That would promote lipolysis and gluconeogenesis even in the well-fed obese state when it should be expressed and shutting those pathways down. That mimics rather well type 2 diabetes, which phenotypically, the biochemical phenotype, is large supplies of serum glucose. And what else? Yep, free fatty acid. Okay, so you get the idea these things are linked, right? I want you to be able to, uh, to follow along with that kind of reasoning um, every time I do it, because this is how biochemistry really functions. That's why you listen to uh, Dr. Dan Guerra at Authentic Biochemistry, because I do the synthesis with you so that you learn how to do it, but you need the literature to be able to guide you. And that's what we're doing. So uh, later on, I can talk about infill 3 coordination of immune associated states as well. Um, now, let's get back to infill 3 action on circadian rhythm. Infill 3 action on circadian rhythm is prototypical of its action on a lot of other cellular processes, okay? In circadian regulation, infill 3 repressor acts in an antiphase manner, remember, with that BCIP transcriptional activator we call DBP. So infill 3 and DBP compete, or they work as what? They, they work as an axis of control because they compete to the access to D-box elements. And therefore, they when they do that, they're exerting opposing effects on the target genes downstream from that promoter region, from the D-box element, C. So infill 3 expression peaks when DBP expression is at its lowest and vice versa. We talked about this. Uh, circuitously a few moments ago. Therefore, D-box regulated genes are repressed 
when the levels of infill through are high and are induced by DVP when infill is low and reciprocate. One of the most thought-provoking roles of infill 3 action in the circadian rhythm is that it's recently been shown to regulate period length. So not only the periodicity of the clock, but the length. And we talked about this too because of the phasing, right, of the two levels of expression compared to, let's say, DBP to infill 3. Yes. So regulating period length. So that, the, the, this defined period length, that's the time to complete a complete circadian cycle. And what do you think that cycle's length is? Let me think circadian, 24 hours. That's correct answer. All right, now the loss of interval three lengthens the period length, whereas the overexpression of it shortens it. This makes sense, right? Because it's changing that binding of DBP. So this cycle is going to move only in one direction. And the direction is that when you lose infill three, um, period, uh, it lengthens period length. And when you elevate infill three relative to DBP, you shorten it. It has to go that way. It can't work both ways, right? It's really important for you to understand there is a valency to all gene expression systems. So the levels of DBP have opposite effects on period length, as exactly you might guess. Frequently then, the circadian rhythm is coupled to cellular processes, which ones might may consider. The cells that are expressing these genes and also the number of cells, so that's going to involve two important features of all cells. What? Mitosis, right? Go through the cell cycle for division. And, you know, brute force metabolism, right? And that has to do with fatty acid metabolism, remember, gluconeogenesis, and all the things I talked about five minutes ago. So it would be informative then to determine whether um, cells grow more quickly with exogenous infill 3 expression as one might predict if you alter the circadian length. So here's an idea that they get with the road model. And I'm not sure I buy into it, but I like it. I like the idea. It means people have been thinking about that for some time. They're thinking, well, if infill 3 actually was a repressor, what would happen if you have exogenous infill 3 expression? It's not regulated by, for example, its own diminution of transcription because of uh, those those particular feedback loops that was feedback three that involved, was involved there. Remember the whole cry-genes and pure-genes and the DBP kicking off the infill three. So they're predicting that you get an altered circadian period length by doing that, you know? And because of that, maybe the cells are more grow more quickly. And what does that mean? Maybe they would age faster. So maybe they would age faster. That would mean the reverse might also be true. Maybe they would age slower. So with a shorter period, are all the stages of the circadian rhythm and related processes affected equally by simply the exogenous expression of infill 3? Or, which is, this is biochemistry, biochemistry may be coming out, and I'm much more convinced this is what would happen. There'd be certain aspects of the network differentially impacted, and some may not be impacted at all. Okay? Maybe because they're upstream or downstream, or maybe because they're not linked network-wise to that grid or angle of regulation. Finally, you can realize it would be important to determine whether info 3 affects the period length, not just in, in uh, rodent models, but what about in humans, right? Because extrapolation is not, no, it, it, it doesn't have to be exact by any means. It doesn't have to be linear um, or concomitant. So you have to do those experiments for sure, okay? 
So just remember that nuclear factor interleukin-3, that's the input we've been talking about, is also known as E4 binding protein 4. That means it's related to translation. And remember that it's globally a repressor of many, many genes. Remember that it's a basic leucine zipper domain. And I told you about the, car the carboxy terminal of the protein is involved in homo or heterodimerization. I told you about that. The other take-home message I told you about before, I want you to remember just now to keep it in your bonnet, is that info 3 represses genes actually by recruiting two, two other proteins. Histone deacetylase 2, SU2 and 2, which deacetylates that collapses the chromatin, making it heterochromatin as opposed to euchromatin. And not only that, it adds insult to injury by giving you the gene INA histone methyltransferase, which further shuts down global transcription. So because of that, of course, it's going to regulate all kinds of different biological functions. We just looked at circadian rhythm. We talked about cellular viability, and then we did a reasonable dive into hepatic metabolism. So I'm going to stop here, and we're going to get on with the rest of this discussion. Um, probably not tomorrow, because I have another appointment, but um, certainly by Tuesday or Wednesday um, of uh, this coming week. So this is Dr. Dan Guerra, who is very happy to have been uh, providing uh, this lecture to you um, because I had nothing better to do, of course. Uh, and uh, my sign-off for today is miraculously for this All Saints Day, um, very similar to what I say, although probably with different intonations and different hoarseness in my voice and all that. But I will just say it. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry saying bye for now.